Hey, welcome to Access. John here. I'm so happy you made the decision to join in on the Easter morning service because in this message, I'm going to explore why a mission statement is so incredibly important. And if you're thinking to yourself, yuck, no thanks, just know that's exactly what I thought before I discovered some of the hidden truths surrounding a very well-known passage of Scripture. So don't go anywhere. Instead, go grab a Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 4 because this message is entitled, Mission and Vision. I read an interesting article the other day called Why Nobody Cares About Your Mission Statement. And in this article, the author, who incidentally is a pastor, makes a valid point that most people, they don't really care about a mission statement. In fact, for the last 25 years, church leaders have been obsessed with having a mission statement. A mission statement is something that says why we're here and why we're doing what we're doing. And unfortunately, although most churchgoers know their church has a mission statement, most likely, most of them cannot tell you what it is. And I agree with the author. This isn't a reason to panic. However, and take it for what it's worth coming from a leader in church that tends to obsess about the mission statement, I'm not so ready to dismiss the importance of a mission statement. It is paramount that everybody knows why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing so that we can all move in the same direction. And yes, I fully advocate 1 Corinthians 4.20, which says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And I, and I know, listen, I know that a lot of churches can be all talk and not a lot of action. However, have you, have you noticed how easy it is to just get off, a track, off track with what we're, we're called to be doing? Has there ever been a time in your life when you looked up and you wondered how you've managed to just drift so far away from God? Like, how did I get here? Has there ever been a time whenever you know you, you, you looked up and you, you realized that you somehow lost the passion for serving God and doing what you should be doing, and now you're, you're doing stuff that just doesn't matter? In Robert Robinson's hymn, uh, hymn Come Thou Found of Every Blessing, he pens a phrase, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And we can easily move off the path that Christ intends for us to walk because we get distracted by other things. And while I can understand the sentiment that churches are all talk and not a lot of action, today I want to talk about uh, I just want to take some time and I, I want to talk about the mission statement and why it is so equally important. Uh, why it's so important. It's just equally important with action. Did you know that before Jesus began his ministry, he was tempted by the devil? And as soon as Jesus was baptized, Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness to be tempted by the, the devil. You probably knew that, but have you ever asked yourself why? Why would the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into that temptation? Why were these temptations so tempting for Jesus? Why was he tempted before he began his ministry and not during? These are all questions that I want to explore because I believe they will help us understand the value and importance of a mission statement. Today I want to study about how Jesus overcame that temptation in the wilderness. And I want to read uh, Matthew uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. But right now I'm just going to start with verses 1 through 3. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. 
the tempter became the tempter came to him and said if you are the son of god tell these stones to become bread now notice that the location and the timing that this temptation was taking place satan didn't come to jesus at his baptism nor did he come to him whenever he was in the temple satan came to jesus when he was tired hungry and alone Alcoholics Anonymous teaches uh, recovering alcoholics that that there are three times when you're most vulnerable to relapse. When you're tired, when you're hungry, and when you're lonely. It wasn't an accident that Satan came to him when he did, but also notice that the temptation doesn't necessarily seem wrong. Well, Jesus, you're hungry. You've been out in the wilderness for 40 days. You know, if you're really the son of God, you should eat something. You know that if you are the Son of God, you can eat whenever you want. So just use your power to turn this stone into bread and eat that. Prove that you are the Son of God. This should show us that sometimes the things that we desire aren't necessarily bad. But the timing is wrong. See, sometimes it can seem like God wants you to abstain from something, and it makes it seem like, well, he's holding out on us. God's not holding out on us. God wants to satisfy our desires, but just in the right way at the right time. Now, I'd also like to note that it's not a coincidence that Jesus was first tempted with food. 1 Corinthians 15.45 gives us some insight as to why. It says, So it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the last Adam. And Adam, the first Adam, was created without a sin nature, and he failed God by disobeying his commandments. Really, just one command. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Jesus is the last and only other man that was born without a sinful nature. So think of it this way. God created man to withstand temptation, But because we relied on our own strength and not the power of God, we failed that test miserably. Thus, God got off of his throne, became flesh, and marched into the wilderness for a rematch. God came to show us how it's done, not by human strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 4.4, Jesus answered him, It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, um... I just absolutely think this is incredible. After being tempted, you know, after he's hungry for 40 days and he's being tempted in the wilderness, Jesus, he hungered for food. He was hungry. And although he could have used his power to turn the rock into the bread, he knew that it wasn't God's timing to do so, so he resisted this temptation. How he did it was by using Scripture. Now, I'd like to point out that, however, there there's a lot more... Uh, at stake. There's a lot more going on when we read this passage. Um, It's a lot more than just getting a meal. Keep in mind that this wasn't just about where Jesus' next meal was coming from. Satan was trying to get Jesus to alter his course. So what he was doing is he was introducing different philosophies for what his ministry could be like. Satan was introducing what I like to call the Washington, D.C. model here. He was telling Jesus, hey, Jesus, you want to reach a lot of people? That's simple, Jesus. Just give the people something that they need. You know, we can make programs that feed people. In fact, 
you you might even uh, you you might know from experience that people will always need food, and if we create a system that gives them the food, they will flock to us like nobody else. There was even a time in Jesus' ministry when that's exactly what the people wanted, and that's exactly what they were there for. And he told them in John 6, 26 through 27, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw a miraculous sign, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. This is especially important a lesson for us to learn, that we must be intentional And we're going to have to be intentional and stick to this. Truth is, we have a choice as to what kind of ministry we want to promote. We could get a lot of people coming to this church if we just started printing out free meal vouchers and giving people what they need. The problem is is that people would just be coming to get their fill of physical food and instead they would not be discovering the truth about Jesus. Which is why we cannot adopt a Washington, D.C. model for ministry. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, it says, Then the devil took him to a holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus answered, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, Satan wasn't just trying to get Jesus to abuse his power. He was presenting him with a philosophy for ministry. Satan was introducing what I like to call the Los Angeles or the Hollywood model. Do something cool, Jesus. People will come to you if they get a good show. And we all know that Jesus could have had he wanted to, but Jesus knew that this wasn't the core reason why people should come to him. In fact, on another occasion, Jesus had people who wanted this very thing. In Matthew 12, 38-39, it says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. And he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign. But none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And of course, he was speaking about the resurrection. Jesus knew the substance of his ministry couldn't be based on miraculous signs. Although he did perform them. He wanted people's hearts. The irony is, is that Jesus only did miracles for those who believed or would believe in the future. Now, it's important for us as the church to also recognize that we can't simply just put on a good show. You know, there's nothing wrong with the good worship and a good message. However, that can't be the focus as to why we exist. Do you know what happens when we focus on being a Hollywood model church? We build a church of consumers. And a church of consumers is not concerned about the things of God, but they're concerned about themselves. I'm not here to preach a good message to you. If I was, I would constantly live under the the, the stress and the pressure of how am I going to top it next week? How am I going to top it next week? And I would hate that, trust me. I'm not here to put on a good show for you. I'm here to proclaim the truth as Jesus did. And before we move on, did you notice how Satan tempted Jesus? He used scripture. God did say he'd catch you, Jesus. But again, Jesus combated Satan with scripture and resisted the temptation. Now, how does that relate to us? That's a valid question, but I have one for you. A different question. Have you ever felt insecure about what you didn't know about Scripture and it made you hesitate to doing the will of God? 
I hear this a lot. I just don't feel like I know the Bible well enough for that. I mostly hear it from people that I ask to join a small group. Did you know that Satan will always know more scripture than you? He's had a millennia, a couple of millennia. Actually, he's had four millennia head start on you. You will never catch up with what he knows. And please don't understand me. I'm not trying to discourage you from studying scripture. You should study it. But did you know that no matter how much you read slash memorize scripture, you will never catch up with how much Satan knows? That can be pretty intimidating, right? Well, keep this in mind. Jesus knew scripture too. And the difference between Satan and Jesus here is that although they both knew scripture inside and out, Jesus was the only one who followed it. So stop getting so hung up on all the things that you don't know about God's word and start focusing on applying the parts of scripture that you do know to your life. And while this can only be done through the Holy Spirit, we should take James' words to heart when he said in James 1.22, don't just listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Because if you apply one verse to your life, just one verse, and you do what it says, you already have a head start on Satan. So in, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, it says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. But Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Satan yet again introduced another model for ministry, and this one was based on pride. I like to refer to it as the Las Vegas model for ministry. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Las Vegas. I have been twice. It is a very beautiful place, especially downtown. It's full of glamour and fun for the whole family. But unfortunately, it's built on pride. You can do whatever you want in Vegas, and whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Well, not STDs or criminal records, but hey, who cares? You can be your own master. You can get rich. You can serve money. You can serve yourself. Now, I don't believe this moment in Scripture where Satan did this with Jesus, I don't believe this is anything short of breathtaking. Scripture tells us that Satan took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. So I believe that at this moment, Satan and Jesus stepped outside of time and saw all the kingdoms of mankind, past, present, and future. And I can tell you that Las Vegas is, is a sight to behold. It's very beautiful. However, Jesus knew what Aaron and I discovered the first time we went to Las Vegas. Man's kingdom, in all of his beauty and glory, it's empty. While we were there, we decided to take the four-hour trip to the Grand Canyon, and as we stood on top of the canyon looking down, we just laughed about how sad Las Vegas was in comparison. <laughs> Only God can make something so beautiful and majestic as the Grand Canyon. And perhaps you picked up that all Jesus had to do and it was inherit, to inherit this power was just bow down and worship Satan. I want you to know that, that is exactly what Satan tempts us with. And while it might seem offensive, offensive to accuse you of being a devil worshiper, please understand that, that, that you will always be a slave to somebody. 
Romans 6.16 says, Either you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. And which I understand the word slave carries a lot of negative connotation, but slavery is only bad when your master is bad. And if you think you serve yourself, think again. Jesus said, you're either with me or you're against me. There are only two sides. You're either on Jesus' side or you're on the other side, which would be the side of Satan. You can't have one foot in the church and one foot out and ride the fence and you're in good shape. Because guess what? Satan owns the fence too. Jesus responded with the only right response when being tempted in this way. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Did you know that a lot of churches spend a lot of time trying to be the Las Vegas model in their town? They spend a lot of attention making their facilities beautiful. Which there's nothing wrong with having nice things. That just cannot be our focus. Did you know that most churches in Europe have two things in common? They are very, very beautiful and they are very, very empty. We as a church cannot settle for doing what we want and following our own path. That is pride at all its worst, and it takes people down the wrong path. It even manifests itself, and it's presented to our children when we tell them, be whoever you want to be. All that matters is your happiness. Because Jesus said, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Not worship the Lord your God and serve him alongside yourself. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You're either with me or you're against me. And the first thing Jesus did when he left the wilderness was go into the temple on the Sabbath. After he, after he passed the temptation, he went to the, he went to the, to, to the, to the temple and, and he presented the ministry that he would pursue in his mission statement, if you will. That's what he says in Luke chapter 4. He took the scroll of Isaiah, and this is what he says in verses 18 and 19, Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, And he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus stood up and he said, Hey, I've got a very specific purpose as to why I'm here on earth. And we must do the same. Jesus told us in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We at Rungy First Baptist Church have a mission statement under the umbrella of Christ's commands. The reason we have one is because there have been times in our church when we've been focused on the wrong things, that we get extremely busy doing all these things, these events, and and we get to see very little spiritual reward from it. And I've often been been distracted myself by trying to put on the best show in town, and I miss the true calling that God has given us. And so each of us, including me, we need to be reminded often, why are we here? We are here to take root, grow, and bear fruit. We are here to help others get connected with God and to grow in relationship with Him and and to bear fruit by making disciples. Everything we do must run through this mission statement. And so our Sunday morning and our Wednesday night services are when we put special emphasis on helping others take root in the Lord. 
if we talk about anything on Sunday morning, it's about how to get your faith started and, and how how to how to be encouraged with, with connecting with others so that you can grow in relationship and be discipled so you can later make disciples. And I believe that small group, we believe small groups are where you, the growth, most growth happens. This is where we grow in relationship with God and we grow in relationship with each other. You know, I want to refer back to the, uh, to the temptations of Jesus for a minute. Did you notice that Satan used Scripture to try to get Jesus to sin? Of all the things he could use, he used Scripture. You know, that would show that should show us that it's not enough to just read your Bible and develop your own interpretations as to what it means for your life. There are countless organizations in the world that promote directions for your life that aren't right. And guess what? They use Scripture to lead you that direction. Only when you understand what the Bible says will you be able to recognize the whole Bible, what the whole Bible says, will you be able to recognize errors of interpretation when people take verses out of context and twist them to say what they want them to say. You cannot understand what the whole of the Bible is about without regularly being challenged and and taught by other believers. Don't settle for Lone Ranger Christianity where you attend services occasionally and, and, and because, listen, there's so much more to God. There's so much more to Scripture. There's so much more to the church than, than just hearing a message on, on Easter Sunday morning. There's so much more. I want to challenge you to lean into a relationship with God. Take root in, in the Lord and surround yourselves with others who, who share the call to love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, and soul. Today, I, I just want to challenge you to answer the call by bearing fruit and making disciples for Jesus. We have a verse that is at the moment the life verse of this church. It's Mark 4.20, which says, Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. We have it posted around the room in our new building to keep us reminded of why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing. We are here to make disciples who make disciples. And I think if we take an honest approach to our lives, we can see that we need to take the heart, take heart the mission of the church because in truth, we can be tempted to move in a direction that's not from God. You know, I would be remiss if I didn't also mention that we must learn to overcome our personal temptations as well. And I believe that small groups help hold us accountable for that purpose. Satan is real. He is not a symbol of all that's wrong in the world. He is real. He attacks us in real ways, and his temptations are real. He is always trying to get us to live our way instead of God's way because he knows something that we often forget. What we do, not what we like to believe, determines who we will become. And for that reason, we cannot simply be a church that talks about our mission. We must actively get out and do it. We are called to make disciples. So is that what we're actually doing? You know, our temptations, they can seem like such trivial things because when we fall into temptation, most of the time we're alone and it doesn't really affect others, right? Wrong. It always affects others the people around us. What we often forget is that our choices, they move us in a direction. And when we fall into temptation, it's easier to fall into it again and again and again. And eventually, those consequences, they will catch up with us. Don't be mistaken. What you do will determine who you become. It's not what you say. 
It's what you do. So you and I, we, we, we need to, to keep in front of us why we are here. We can be like Jesus and overcome temptation, not by our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be, on, be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. There is no reason to spend our lives drifting away from God. Because all we must do is cry out to God and He will send us deliverance and we can be in fellowship with Him once again. It's not enough to hear the Word of God. We must do what it says. We must follow Christ. So can we do this? Can we just read this verse together? Would you repeat it after me? Mark 4.20 Others Like seeds sown on good soil Hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. We're here to take root, grow, and bear fruit. So now we all know why we're here. Let's get to work. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.